What's good? It's your boy Robin back with another episode of Asian Movie Club. I got my co-host right here. Standard time Kyle. What's good? <laughs> what's good? What's good? I'm here. I'm alive. Let's let's do this movie review. I'm excited. Yeah. You guys you guys don't have the um daylight time savings over there, right? Nope. We don't. It's always been one time and it's perfect. I don't know if if it's because I'm getting older or not, but that one hour we so 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 in Toronto we had to move our clocks ahead one hour. That shit fucked me up yesterday, man. I I I, I did not get a good sleep yesterday. That one hour, I feel like makes a big difference. Like, do do you remember daylight time savings? It didn't really affect me that much, to be honest. Like, I, I thought, like, yeah, it's, it sucks that you have to, you know, forward. So, technically, you are losing an hour of sleep. But at the same time, I think your body is pretty quick when you're younger to, like, adjust to it. I guess, like you said, maybe you're getting older. That's why it feels hard on your body. Your boy jet-lagged, bro. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I was kind of groggy this morning, but on the way back home... I don't know. I was. I'm kind of feeling it. You know, it's still bright out. You know, it's just. It, it feels like summer's coming. So. Yeah, that's the best thing about daylight saving. When it, like you mm-hmm. push it forward, is like you get more sunlight, and I think I prefer that rather than having like the whole day pretty much pretty dark by the like four o'clock or something like that. Let's introduce our guest today. We got a we got a pretty special one today. So special, um, yeah. Uh um. He's an actual like filmmaker, you know. Yeah. So I think today we can get we actually can ask him more like technical questions, not just like that was dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more so, analysis. Exactly. So let's bring on my friend Martin Kessler. What's good, brother? Hey. Hey, it's it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I yeah. we met on a film actually way back when I was <clears throat> in film school. It's. Uh, Yes, yeah, I've known Martin. Ago now. Yeah, yeah, I've known Martin a, like for a long time now. Like how 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 uh, how far back was that? that? That must have been more than ten years ago now. <laughs> like, do you remember? Like, so basically, you you, you were Joey's friend. Joey's uh, 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 our mutual friend, who's a, a dope mu- musician, but he was studying film at the time. And um, I think you guys were doing like a documentary project or something. Yeah. And you guys decided to do it on on me. <laughs> oh. Do you remember that? Yeah, that that was pretty cool. Yeah. So they did. Uh, so Kyle, they did a documentary on me uh, for my uh, break dancing back in the day. Oh, that's dope. And uh, so we 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 actually like did interviews. We went to we went to like an actual breaking jam uh, competition. So I felt like a superstar that day, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had like a camera crew following me. You know, everybody's like, "Yo, whoa, who is that guy? What's going on here?" You know. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get the W. You know, oh, yeah. I, I think I made it to the semifinals or something. Uh, you know, so my bad for fucking up your documentary. <laughs> but uh, that was definitely a fun experience. Where can we yeah, see that? I don't. Do you still have it, Martin? I don't think I ever had it. You probably have to ask uh, Joey if he, oh. he might still have it. Yeah. Oh, that would be a gem. That would be a gem for the <laughs> Instagrams. Yeah, you, you, you need to find it. What are you What are you saying nowadays? Like, how, uh, 
Are you still uh, into filmmaking? Um, what can you tell the audience about your 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 creative sides? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this year, I guess I, I'm still saying this year as if it's still 2020, but this mm-hmm. pandemic period, it, it's kind of been hard to do much. So I've been writing a lot. Um, I have a book, which is basically a film criticism or film essay book coming out soon called Maya Non Grata, which is like a book length commentary historical kind of breakdown of uh, the movie Apocalypto. Uh, so that's that's a project. I've been working on essays. I've been writing screenplays, that kind of stuff mostly since I've been cooped up and driving my girlfriend crazy. <laughs> so. See, Kyle, this is why this is why I asked Martin to come on today. Like, yeah. So I follow I so I follow Martin on, on, on Twitter and I've been following him since forever. Right. <clears throat> yep. All this guy posts uh, on Twitter is like I, you can tell this dude is like a film nerd. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like Martin probably knows more about Asian films than us. Probably, yeah. I, that's why I wanted to get him on today. You know, because uh, uh, I know he's gonna have a lot of hot takes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure it's gonna be a hot take. So I think he actually know what he's talking about. So it's not so much hot takes. <laughs> it's, it's more uh, just facts. I'll, yeah. I'll just try. Facts. Gosh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. What, but um, uh, what like what made you get into film? Because like like yeah, again, like if you if you follow Martin on Twitter, which by the way he has a really big following, um. This guy is just like a film nerd. He just posts like like facts, uh, photos from like new films, old film, just like like films in general. You just have like a. I just feel like you have a vast knowledge of about. So like, where where did this like passion come from? Thanks. I, I feel like my ego is being inflated right now. I I guess I always liked film. It's it's just something I always loved and kind of pursued. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I like making films i like the creative side i also like watching films and kind of engaging with it as art and talking about it that way and i love all kinds of films i love like you said old films new films i love like real art house kind of stuff i love action movies i got psyched on uh, monster hunter recently that was like my latest i watch saw that, that I, I saw i saw you post that it, too, it, yeah. is it actually a good watch because i i heard terrible things i think uh there's like a middle section that I really, really liked where it's Mila Jovovich and Tony Jaa just kind of saving each other and helping each other out. And it's a monster movie. If you like monsters, it's just a bunch of monsters the whole way through. So it's like, I, I don't know what more people could want. It's like... So it's it's, it's enjoyable. It's it's that It's, it's fun. That popcorn. It's, I, I had a, it's a popcorn <laughs> movie. That That's like one of the things that I was kind of bemoaning on Twitter is it's such a popcorn mm-hmm. movie. And, uh, you know, I couldn't see it in theaters because of the pandemic right now. So... Mm-hmm. That that kind of made me miss that. Just you know, you want to sit and watch like some ridiculous monster film and eat a pile of popcorn and watch it on the biggest screen possible. So <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that, that was my thing this week. That's awesome, man. And also, one before we before before we move on, I there's one more shout out I I need I need to give for Martin. Oh yeah, his his hat collection. Oh, <laughs> talk about Kyle, that. Let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about this guy, man. Like, it, it, if you, I, I'm surprised he doesn't have it in his bio because, like, <laughs> the man has like the illest hat collection I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Like, like Martin, how many hats do you have, bro? I, I swear I don't have that many. I keep picking them up. Uh, 
I don't like you go to Chinatown and you find these like really cool hats for like 10 bucks, 15 bucks in Toronto. And I, I don't know. I, I, the film that kind of actually got me hooked, kind of bringing it back to Asian film on those kinds of hats was the uh, Grandmaster. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Which apparently was like a big thing, like the opening fight scene. It cost them a huge pile of money to basically reshoot it just to give them that hat. Walker wife. Yeah, that, that was like a, I mean, that movie took like years to come together. That was like a, one of those movies that you just seem to be making forever. But like, apparently that was a thing where it's like, oh, this, this action scene's missing something. You know what it's missing is that hat. We're going to reshoot the whole thing with that hat. So it, maybe it was worth it because I saw that and immediately it was like, that's the coolest hat I've ever seen in that movie. The hat was pretty iconic. And, yeah. and, the, and the one you rocked de- definitely did look like it. <laughs> I, I remember... Yo, you posted up this photo like someone took a photo of you at Ribfest or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, and it, it made it on the newspapers. But like the highlight of the photo wasn't even you eating the ribs; it was the hat. <laughs> so that's how, and, and then and then there were multiple like instances where I see you post like like you a photo of you with a dope hat. Like it seems like every photo you put up, you you have a fucking dope hat. So I'm like, <laughs> this dude needs an Instagram for his hat. Man. <laughs> I think so too, and I think he should change his um Twitter uh picture. He needs a hat on that. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. Oh, by the way, also, do you, you you do podcasting as well, right? Yeah. Um. The movie podcast I have right now, it's mm-hmm. uh, I'm a producer on the Flixwise podcast, and I also host the spinoff Flixwise Canada, and it talks about all kinds of films. It's a pretty eclectic bunch of topics and filmmakers and people who worked in films and movies and um, just to connect to this podcast I think some of the uh, East Asian ones that have been covered uh, I did an episode on Wong Bing's documentary West of the Tracks which is like an eight-hour documentary about um, uh, sort of this like industrial decline economic decline in mainland China uh, Oxide 2 is another one by Jia Yin Lu which is this like very slow film about uh, family making dumplings and that's basically the whole movie but it's it's really really great so those might be episodes that people who listen to this would want to check out after you see you see see what i'm talking about kyle this guy this guy knows his stuff man Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know any of those films he just mentioned you know Mm. like we're (laughs) we're we're like the low but we're like the lowbrow movie podcast you know what i'm saying you want that like fancy highbrow talk check out martin's <laughs> yeah podcast you know what i'm saying for those uh i i could sp- do lowbrow too i i don't mind lowbrow i'm <laughs> not shy about well, being then- lowbrow <laughs> um so every episode uh, we have a short segment called dope asian shout out basically i just want to like because so, me i i i feel like i'm kind of like a a scout of like random weird talent on the internet so I've dedicated a little segment every episode of me finding these creative artists. And this week for my dope Asian shout out, I want to shout out this girl that I found on YouTube. Um, so during the pandemic, I don't know how I came across this, but like sometimes, you know, YouTube, you get those weird recommends, right? And... Um, for some reason, I don't know if it's like a recent thing, but I always I, I've been seeing a lot of these like bedroom producers pop up, probably because of the pandemic. Everybody's like just doing stuff at home, but 
there's been a wave of like these people just making music in their bedrooms and they just film like um, music videos inside their bedrooms, right? Um, and then don't quote me on this, but I believe the term is called bedroom pop. Yeah, bedroom okay. lo-fi pop, all that stuff. Lo-fi, yeah. So um, one day I came across this girl. Uh, her name is Sue Lee. S U L E E. That's two words. And um, she covered this Chance the Rapper song called "Coco Butter Kisses," which is on Spotify, by the way. So check it out. It's it was it's fucking amazing. Uh, she seems like a super cool girl. Um, I think she's like a Korean American living in Korea, but she kind of blew up. Um, just from making music in her bedroom, uh, all her videos is like they look like they just recorded on a MacBook photo booth. Um, but the music is amazing, uh, so check her out. That's my uh, dope Asian shout out for today, and that's Sue Lee S U L E E, and she's on Spotify and YouTube. So check out her videos and her music. It's yeah. Dope. It's dope, and I think she really benefited from like just being making music in her bedroom during the pandemic when everyone just wants more content. Yeah, it's amazing what people are doing on YouTube. There's so like they, there's a YouTube channel yep. for everybody, you know what I mean? So, uh, Martin, do you have a YouTube channel? <laughs> uh, I guess I do technically, but I don't really use it for much. Oh, it's, uh, true, true, true. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> sometimes I'll use it for, uh, I'll upload a video private and then just use the YouTube's automatic subtitle feature to get quick subtitles for free and stuff like really? that. Really? Wow. Uh, that's yeah. A, that's a I, I probably should right put there. more of my stuff on YouTube, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm shy about putting my stuff on the internet sometimes. I feel like your hat could use a YouTube channel, you know? Yeah. Maybe. It <laughs> and, I, and I mean, you're already writing so much, so you just just have it in a, like audio slash video format. Easier to digest yeah. for a lot of people. That's true. I've seen a lot of people putting up podcasts with just like still images and stuff like that just to get it on YouTube because some people discover stuff easier on YouTube than yeah. looking for podcasts and things like that. Mm -hmm. But like just what you're saying about uh, people doing stuff from their bedroom like uh, my friend jeremy workman has a new documentary coming out lily topples the world about this domino artist uh lily who's um uh, asian american and she's uh doing like all these elaborate domino setups and she's like a huge has this like massive youtube following like i, I think like millions and millions of views so this documentary is coming out in at uh, South by Southwest Film Festival. And what? I don't know if you know um, Kelly Marie Tran, who was in Star yes. Wars. Star Wars yeah. and now the Rhea, the Raya. last dragon. She's um, executive producing the documentary, which was really exciting. That wow. Was sort of, That's fucking amazing. Yeah. Dude. So I don't, I'm, I'm psyched. What, it's, it's what, what's, the, what's the documentary called again? Lily Topples the World. Lily so. Topples the World. Man, that's that's dope. I'll look out for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's two dope Asian shadows for today. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. See, you're you're already you're already a, an amazing guest, Martin. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, for sure. With that said, why don't we get into our review today? Okay, so today's movie was actually 
chosen by Martin. Um, so why don't okay, could you give the audience like like a quick uh, description of this movie you picked and why sure. you wanted to uh, do a review of it? Okay, uh, I mean, initially when we were talking, I was like, oh, do you want to do like a light and fun movie or a heavy movie? And I, I may have understated it when I said that this movie's heavy because it's about the Japanese occupation of Nanjing during World War II, which you had all kinds of um, human rights atrocities. It was like one of the most horrific incidents during the war in this film is about that in a very direct way. Um, and I saw it I saw it around the time that it was coming out at the Beijing Film Academy. I met the director, Lu Chuan, as it was coming out and it left an impression on me. I, I think like there's obviously things to maybe discuss, uh, not even just about the film itself, but maybe about the broader context about how it's been received and the kind of controversies around it. But uh, it, it stuck with me. And I think it's really interesting how it walked this tightrope between um, some very complex points of view and dealt with such a difficult subject in a way that I thought was interesting and thoughtful. And at the same time, it's a very shocking film and it's a very, uh, it's one of those movies that I think like you sort of have to anticipate it's going to put you in a bad mood for the rest of the day when you watch it. So uh, thank you guys for letting me inflict this on you. <laughs> okay. okay. First so, of all, first, first yeah. of all, let me, let me say something. I, well, first of all, the, the movie is called uh, city of life and death. I don't think we uh, mentioned the title yet, but my first thing is fuck you, Martin, for making me watch this shit. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, that shit was horrific, bro. It, it is horrific. You did it was not, tough. You did not. You did not. You did not tell me. You did not give me the warning. I, I, it was movie. just like, hey, and Robin, this one's you did heavy, not give so. me the warning. I well, I didn't know. I didn't know. So like, yo, I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. So so I watched it yesterday. It was a Sunday night. You ruined my night, man. I, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, yo, what the fuck is this, yo? Like, I don't like, yo, this movie's horrific. It's yeah. just first half murder, second half rape. It's just like... Yeah. I, Perfect like, combo it, it, to ruin the day. If there was no if there was uh, no no podcast, I probably would have uh, switched it off halfway. If I, I'm, a, I'm being totally honest. That, that's completely good... fair. I, like, I remember uh, when I was in film school, one of our professors, Theresa Barta, showed this, this uh, Soviet war film called come and see at like 9 a.m and it just like ruined my whole day and it's it's a very similar kind of a movie where it's it's not even like a war film in the way that people think of like kind of war actiony i don't know like brad pitt fury kind of a war movie like this is you know a, a disturbing movie it's it's deeply horrific yeah. and shocking yeah you ruined my night man like <laughs> i was actually like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie i was pretty angry Yep. I was like, "What the fuck, Martin? Why? Why'd you pick this one? You know, like for for our first episode together, why would you pick this one? You know, like I was so I was like, is he pranking us? Like, is he just like twirling his fingers like Mr. Burns with an evil laugh? Like, I mean, yeah. these guys watch this shit. I was so angry. Yeah, I was for, like, <laughs> yeah, for me, I was like, wow, Martin, is this just what you like? what you enjoy watching on a regular or like just because you're just a, such a big film nerd is like if it is then i'm kind of worried it's so heavy <laughs> like i don't think i could Again, finish what, what, it yeah this is sitting. this is how you start the friendship 
with Kyle, like you, you <laughs> watch this shit. Watch this well, shit. <laughs> again, when we were first talking about movies to pick up, like we could talk about like Wheels on Meals or like, some of the stuff I threw out there was like very softball, but yeah. I I don't know. Like I I think it's an interesting film to talk about, and there's a lot there to kind of dig into and. Let like let me put it this way. There's a lot of films you watch and then you forget the next day or forget the second you finish watching it. Like you guys aren't gonna forget this anytime soon, right? Oh, for sure, no. But, I mean, bro, bro, like yeah, I was already stressed because of daylight time savings, <laughs> and then like I couldn't even sleep because I was like fucking so angry like watching this movie. Yeah, you know, because it's like me and Kyle are Chinese. Yeah, right. So it's like. It's it's one thing seeing horrific shit happening, but it's like seeing horrific shit happening to people like your own people. Mm-hmm. It's like it makes me even more angry, you know. And 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 then our last film that we reviewed was It Man Four, right? Right. So it was just like, yo, man, like it's like consecutive weeks of seeing my people being oppressed, you know. Like, it's like <laughs> we 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 need to cleanse our palate. Uh, next film, uh, Kyle. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> we need to do like a Disney movie or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so um, what was it about this film that you liked, Martin? I think, I mean, for starters, one of the things I really like about it is the way it kind of pulls the rug out from under you in certain respects. Like, mm-hmm. like probably the most famous actor in the film is Liu Ye, who's you know, like the soldier at the beginning. And mm-hmm. like, there's so many actors in this movie. Yeah, like he's the the guy who's fighting the at commander, the beginning. right? And like, yeah. you know, you see the way all the other soldiers look up to him. And like, he, he's the only one that really has that like movie star charisma. I mean, he is a movie star. He's, he's mm. again, probably the most famous actor in this film. And like, he's that kind of leading man type. and And you feel like, Oh, you almost feel like any other film, he would be the main character and the hero. And, you know, he, he acts like a hero and he doesn't make it 40 minutes into the film. So, true. You, you know, like, yeah. I think just the way that kind of subverts your ideas of the, the kind of like patriotic war film or, you know, the way it sort of strips away some of those ideas about hope or like one of the most controversial things about this film uh in China when it came out was that like really the main character is a Japanese soldier, you know, so mm-hmm. it was controversial both mm. um, in China and also in Japan where in Japan, the kind of line on it was, oh, you know, it's using this basically as uh, propaganda to open up old wounds and yada, 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 yada. I think like one of the Japanese actors in the film basically had to expatriate from Japan after this because there was so much pressure on him. And, oh, wow. but like uh, it was not necessarily oh, really? received well in china either and i know like lu chuan he he had a hard time making the film on a number of levels he had a hard time getting government approval initially he had a hard time getting funding and i think like wow. uh like when i talked to him he, he was really he seemed really worn out he sort of was talking about like some of these issues dealing with the government uh chinese government restrictions on it and how maybe some things might have been fudged from what he, the story he wanted to tell and maybe some mm. of the ways that they wanted to use the film. Like, for instance, um, like the one thing he talked about, like the dedication to the uh, 300,000 dead in Nanjing. He said, well, like, you know, when I was younger, the official number was 150,000. 
So, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the estimates vary, but he said it's already kind of on the high, high end of the numbers of estimations to say 300,000, but that was kind of what the government wanted from him. And then by the end of filming, they, you know, he was getting scolded. He said like, well, it says the 300,000, really it should say more than 300,000. And, you know, mm. little things like that to kind of yeah. put on the pressure on, on using this, you know, maybe for some kind of political leverage, uh, mm -hmm. the government was oh. kind of interested in that. That was yeah. part of the issue, uh, you know. So I, I know he had to deal with stuff like that, but I think, you know, he balanced it all things considered really well. Like this is not a propaganda film, I don't think. I, you know, mm -hmm. it might, be, might have been twisted in some ways or used like that in some ways to some extent, but it's not really. And I like that he highlights certain things. Like um, I know in in communist China. Uh, in quotes, but, but uh, like the, the Chinese government for many, many years didn't really actually acknowledge the Nanjing massacre either because that was uh, Republican China at the time and it was actually not talked about as much. So it, it's only been in relatively recent years where that's kind of been reopened and reexamined and you know, acknowledged as the atrocity that it was where you had all mm -hmm. these human rights abuses. And, you know, like if mm -hmm. you watch the film, you can sort of notice like that statue they tear down at the beginning, the Japanese soldiers, like that's Chiang Kai-shek's statue, you know, and the hero characters or the, you know, the resistance fighters like those are, you know, they would have been on the Republican side, not the communist side. It's not side. the modern so like, PRC. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly. The thing. So, yeah. gotcha. you know, there's a lot of interesting things like that kind of going on. Yeah. And I think like you can tell, Lu Chuan, he worked really, really hard to make something that was as truthful as, as possible. You know, I, I think, you know, you could maybe pick apart certain things, but I, I think like in altogether, he he managed to strike that balance really well, well, but it was hard on him. I know, like he said, I don't think I'm ever going to make a film like this ever again. Like it, you could tell it just like really took it out of him. And I mm -hmm. thought like at the time, maybe it was just because he was exhausted, but like in the year since all he's done really is like, a fantasy film, uh, a feel-good Disney panda documentary. Like, he hasn't done anything near this. And if you watch his first three films, they all kind of build up to this. Like, Mountain Patrol's really good, too. Uh, you can feel him kind of working towards something like this. And it's, you know, like, there's no shame in just being a filmmaker who works to work and take the projects you have. But, like, the first three films that he did all felt like a real... Um, like they were coming from a place of real artistic integrity and had a real focus. Mm. And then after that, it feels almost like uh, maybe he gave that up now. And I, I don't know, yeah. like, I, I don't want to speak for that, but like, if you right. just watch the films he's done since, it almost feels like, like I'm never going through that again. <laughs> you know, you have right. to be stubborn. Um, I mean, I, I think like one of the filmmakers that was obviously an influence on this is uh, one of my favorite directors, Alexei Garman, who I know like when I was at the Beijing Film Academy, they were still teaching his films. He was Russian. Uh, Soviet era and then post-Soviet era Russian filmmaker but like you could see a lot of the stylistic quirks from his films in this like people looking directly into the camera and the way that kind of I like I find that really haunting and arresting when you have those characters looking directly into the camera and you have those faces that <clears throat> feel like they're from another time period it, it always kind of catches me off guard because I think it's one thing to talk about history and you read in books oh you know 300,000 people died at this event but then you know you have something like this film which is very experiential and uh, you know you feel an emotional connection to that past and you get a sense of what that mm -hmm. time period was like and what it was really like to live in those days of turmoil so i, I find that really powerful um i know like one of yeah. the films that they, they screened at the beijing film academy 
at the time was um, The Fall of Otrar, which is a Central Asian film. It's a Kazakh film by Ardak Amirkulov that Alexei Gurman and his wife wrote and produced. But that's about um, Genghis Khan destroying this ancient Kazakh city. Um, similar in some ways, this uh, Mongol siege on um, a city. Uh, they're just They're just showing horrific shit. Throughout yeah, that whole festival, I, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, that that was like you know basically just what they were screening. But like I, I kind of yeah. wondered if that that was maybe an influence on it. And I I mean I you guys but, might never want to watch anything like this ever again. But if well, it ever okay. crosses your mind, like, uh, that, that I need might to cool out on this. Check like, out as horrific as the movie is, though. Like there was a lot of um, artisticness to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like even when when the movie starts, right? So the movie starts. It's it, it it's actually like the Japanese dude, um, Kadokawa, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the movie starts with him like looking up at the sky, like he's looking at the at the sun, um, and it's like like the way I saw it, I saw a lot of scenes with him that they they kind of humanize uh, the Japanese troops. Yes, mm-hmm. right because. Even me growing up, I'm Chinese, right? So a lot of the movies I watched growing up, when they portray Japanese in that era, in that time, they're all like super villains, super evil, right? And that's it. There was no other, there was no real other side to that, you know, like, 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 you know, like all the Bruce Lee movies, right? They're all bad guys. Whereas in this one, he kind of, before he shows the horrific shit, he kind of like shows you hints of the humanity um, within the Japanese army, which I found very interesting. Yeah, I was I was taken back by that because I was going in expecting, oh, it's going to be a propaganda film kind of thing where it's like mm, going to show yeah. like how bad Japan was, which they were, but like I didn't expect them to be like having that point of view of like the Japanese soldier, how he feels yeah. kind of off about the war and all that stuff and how he's going to grow into like having some sort of awakening some of some sort. Yeah, like he adds that human touch to it, right? Because otherwise, they just they ju- they just look like evil villains, right? Um, but Katogawa added that extra layer into this film and made it a little more tolerable to swallow. Yeah, I I, I agree, right? and I, I think that's a really important point. And I mean, like I think you know, if you want to understand how an atrocity can happen, you have to understand that it's committed by human beings and you know that means that in some ways like we have to kind of understand the capacity for atrocity in every one of us and by completely demonizing say oh you know they were basically just bad guys to the core there's no humanity it it removes any kind of potential for a real historical understanding that has any kind of depth i think Mm -hmm. you know what's another um interesting technique that they did that that or, or, or what technique they did that I found was interesting. The movie was done in black and white. Oh, yes. So the movie was done in black and white. And I want to know your thoughts because I feel like they did it in black and white. So it's almost like you can't tell who's who, right? Because at the end of the day, we're, both, we're all Asian, right? So without the color of the uniforms... You can't. You, it kind of takes you a little bit to like, um, like think about like, oh, is that is that guy Chinese or is he Japanese, right? Um, and I found I I feel like they did that technique, or they made the movie black and white, 
to show that at the end of the day, we're all human. What do you guys think about that? That's an interesting point. I mean, like for me, sometimes I feel like black and white feels more real somehow. Like, you know, you watch color films, especially like very colorful films. It can feel somehow removed. Like, oh, I'm sitting here watching a movie. And for me, like the black and white almost has this effect of like a, a black and white photograph or, you know, it doesn't quite look like footage of the era. It's not trying to like recreate 1940s looking footage, but it's to me, it, it makes it feel more vivid in a certain way. Like the, the textures on people's faces, the mm. smoke, the dirt, all that stuff like that stands out to me so much more in the black and white than I, I think if this film was in color, it, it makes it, I don't know, it, it, the, the visuals just feel that much stronger. The contrast, the kind of, reality of it it feels much more in your face i find but you don't think they did it to make it seem like it's almost like saying like at the end of the day we're all human you know we're all the same because like it wasn't that obvious right it wasn't that obvious like sometimes i did have to think about like oh yo is that is that a chinese dude is that a, a japanese dude you know like you know you couldn't really tell right so it's like you had to think about it you know, uh, whereas if there was color, you can just, oh, that uniform is like a Japanese soldier. So I felt like they kind of did a black and white just as a subtle uh, message to the to the audience is like, look, we're at the end of the day, we're all the same. So it's like it's like you're wondering why? Why is he? Why does why does this guy have so much hate for this guy? Right? Mm. Like they look the same, right? They look I, the same on screen. I, I don't I don't know how I feel about that part. I think you could be right. But I think another way to look at it, I don't think they would have thought of doing like oh all of us are just the same when they clearly want to point out like oh the japanese did this to us mm. so therefore why would they want yeah. them to ha uh, have audience assume oh we're all the same and this just happened randomly right i i think the black and white for me was really a good touch because i thought it really highlighted like the really rough side of the war and all the people mm. in, their, in terms of their faces of like how dirty they were how 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 like torn they were already how tired they were already like you could see it from like from the kids to the soldiers like yeah and i think it doesn't really serve real purpose if, to make it colored honestly unless they really have gory scenes where they want to show like the red of the blood and th th that contrast but they didn't really mm -hmm. do that that much so i think that black and white was really nice to kind of make you feel like you're really in it whereas like like martin said really real and like just you could feel a lot of pain from just the black and white kind of colors yeah yeah no that, that's that's true how'd you how'd you guys feel about the action scenes it's uh it's almost just enough to be cool like it, it just kind of gets into that territory where you're almost enjoying it and then i feel like the movie almost punishes you for liking it like you know you get a little bit attached <laughs> to this i mean there are moments that are cool if i'm being honest like um yeah there's that one moment near the beginning when they're walking by the the burnt out tank and then it just sort of comes to life and you realize there's somebody in there and it blows mm -hmm. them away you know? the ambush yeah, yeah the, the, ambush. the ambush and you know there's that whole yeah. section at the beginning you know he's uh uh, Liu Ye is just like shooting the Japanese soldiers and running around and he jumps over the broken down building and gets the guy from the other side and stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's kind of yeah. cool. And then I thought the action was really well done. I, I think the fact that it, like it's all choreographed really well and mm -hmm. realistic and effective. And then like, you know, you don't get any anything else resembling action later. And like just the sheer amount of 
death you see later on almost like it just sucks out any potential for joy which is almost like i think how it should be like you i don't know like i, I find like there's something maybe a little bit wrong about enjoying war films you sort of have to... no like mm. it's true you think that's like, what I... it was he's punishing us for enjoying the action scenes <laughs> maybe i mean but like i mean you watch like a real propaganda film and like yeah. uh they're all about enjoying the action scenes and like oh wasn't that cool like the hero right. and even if they die it's like some like self-sacrifice that's heroic that's and like to, yeah. to me like you know they do have this moment where you know he he's like the first one to stand up and he you know, he's brave and he, he is brave, but it's almost like, okay, now people have to live in this city and, you know, all the people who tried to defend it are dead or leaving. Yeah. And it's like, wh what did that really gain? What did that bravery really count for? I, I don't know. It, it sort of makes you question that. That's and true. I know like Louis, his character was originally supposed to I, I either live throughout the whole film or only die at the end. I, I think it was one or the other. Um, I, I sort of have to remember back like 10 years to... I, I don't want to screw up this anecdote too much, but like, I, I think yeah. originally he was supposed to live through the film and then they sort of realized like something's not working. Like, you know, we can't really have a, a hero. And then I think there was a mm -hmm. scheduling conflict where this movie was dragging on because it had uh, like production would shut down and then get restart. They needed to get financing and they had issues with the construction. Like, I mean, one of the craziest things about this movie is that that's all a giant set. They went out in the middle of these like marshlands and built the walls mm -hmm. of the whole city that you see, like it's all a giant mm. set because Nanjing looks nothing like that today. But uh, Lu Ye, like I think he had to move on to another movie because of the schedule and it just sort of clicked that like, oh, he should just like, th this is the right thing to do is actually like kill him, kill him off and change the whole story around that. And uh, I think, it, I think yeah. that was the right call. I think, I, I, right I think call. it's really effective. Yeah. Yeah. Because be basically what you're saying, like, well, so for the movie, the first half is the Japanese invading the city. And then you see the group of like the, the rebellion soldiers fighting the Japanese. And that guy was the captain, right? <laughs> um, oh, by the way, his little sidekick, the little kid, that guy was a gangster, bro. Like, oh, he was great. <laughs> he was my favorite character in that yeah. film. Cause like, I, I'm glad that he guy was a yeah. G. Yeah, that guy was a G. He didn't he didn't shed a tear <laughs> and then through the whole movie. You when, know, when like you get he, to the uh, end credits and it's like, and he's still alive. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's still alive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you like some technical questions, like during the um, the action scenes, which I thought was really well choreographed. Mm -hmm. Um, what goes into creating an action sequence? Because uh, it's like, I, there's there's a lot of chaos going on. And I'm like, you know, like who who organizes this? Like, what how, does someone yeah. like think of like this, like what's what happens, the trigger and, and then like stuff that happens afterwards? Like how, do, how, how does a war sequence usually? Yeah, usually it, it, it takes a lot of planning to have that chaos on screen, actually. Like that's all very controlled, actually, where you have to choreograph mm -hmm. everything. And again, that's something I appreciate about this film is how detailed it is and how alive it kind of feels because everyone like you know you look at the soldiers even everyone's a little bit different they're you know picking people with different faces somebody's got glasses somebody's got a mustache and like the, you know it's very detail oriented and I, I think like that goes kind of with the choreography and the planning and coming up sometimes with these like unusual scenarios and uh, unusual details I don't know if maybe some of it might have even come from 
people's personal anecdotes that you see going into it. But, you know, you have the director and cinematographer and production manager who has to work with, uh, you know, all the actors and extras and be able to coordinate all this you know, second unit director or assistant director. Like what's really amazing, you look at how many extras there are in this film and how well directed they are you know there's big scenes where you have like these big crowds and they all have to kind of emote at the right time and be shocked at the right time I was watching uh, some of the behind the scenes clips and you know they were showing in the church the the scene in the church when the Japanese soldiers shoot into the confessional and there's like five people fall out and yes which yeah. one was sort of explaining to like a whole crowd of people like okay you have to like scream and gasp and then like immediately go quiet and you have to choreograph all of that like you're conducting an orchestra almost so i think it's really yeah. hard to do it's hard to do on that scale and it's hard to get it right uh, mm -hmm. yeah no, it was yeah. really well done like yeah. I, I really like i also really liked like the the variety of weapons that they yeah. showcase <laughs> right because it was like it was mortars it was like grenades rifles well there's they, they everything in this film like nothing in this film is generic like i love just all the props and it like yeah and it feels like very authentic and you see you know you look at uh what's on the japanese officer's desk and you look at all the props and it, it's interesting to me actually just it, again it kind of immerses me and makes me feel they put a lot like of I'm effort into everything it. yeah yeah well, another question i wanted to ask was um like a, a lot of the action scenes, like you, you, the cameras, you can tell like they were they like they were kind of handheld, right? Because it was like very shaky. Yeah, is that a technique in filmmaking? You know, like like to make it more real. <laughs> yeah, you see that in a lot of films. Sometimes it's kind of overdone. Like you watch action movies and they'll shake the camera to cr try to add some kind of. Uh, kinetic energy to a scene that's not really working well like sometimes you'll see yeah. badly choreographed uh, action scenes where they're just shaking the camera to hide the fact that the actors aren't uh aren't able to fight that well <laughs> or or you know the choreography <laughs> sucks or you know you see that in films where they kind of shake it way too much like uh, uh I know, especially okay. like I, I think a lot of like western action films lately it kind of got started with the um, I think Born Identity is the one that they kind of point out as starting that trend with the shaky cam for action movies. And if you go back mm -hmm. and watch the Born Identity, it's not really bad in that one. But a lot of the films that kind of imitated that and I don't know, like Taken and stuff like that, you watch the action scenes and they just shake the camera like crazy to make it feel like stuff's happening when, you know, really the actor's not able to pull off some of this martial arts stuff or action stuff or, you know, really it's a kind of a boring scene if you stop and take a look at it from a distance but yeah. you know it's yeah, like oh to like make it yeah. more attractive when you know the main thing isn't working at all so yeah the shaking yeah. thing but i think yeah. it was well done here and like like a lot of work put was put into like choreographing everyone at those big scenes i was just impressed by like you know all those people are pretty much just extras but yet they could get everyone to like stand in the right place make the right motions and all that stuff about messing up i'm just wondering like how many times would it take like to get a good take on that? Like, I, I assume they can't do that many takes because it will cost a lot of time and money. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where like, I think you just have to plan it out in advance as much as possible because if you, if you mess it up, you only have so many chances where you can mess it up and then that day's blown. Um, and like, just adding to what you were saying about the handheld camera too, like I think like here especially it has sort of a documentary feel a little bit or like a you know you'd say cinema verite kind of feel where 
it's not the kind of documentary where you'd sit and interview people, but you feel like there's that kind of fly on a wall aspect to it. You almost feel like the camera's really present in that world and it's like, oh, okay, I'm just watching footage from that time period and you could turn the camera in any direction and you would just see more of that world. It's, I think in that way, it's very immersive. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, another thing I think they did well in this film was the pacing. Like, how did you guys feel about the scene where when the when the Japanese took over, right? And they rounded up the whole, like, rebellion squad. And then they were telling the commander, like, to stand up and walk to, towards his death, right? Yeah. So, like, the music cuts out. And it's, like, him alone with his whole squad, like, behind him. And he just starts walking. And then suddenly... My main man, the sidekick, the little kid, runs up to him, right? And that, like, everybody saw that, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. And then, like, they, they felt that surge of pride, right? Yeah. And everybody got up and then followed him, right? And they're walking, they're walking to their deaths. They're, they're, they're going to execute everybody, right? So, like, but they're, like, they saw the kid. Like, this kid, this kid had the balls to, to follow his commander. He's like, fuck. Yo, I'm going to do the same. So they all like got up as a unit and just started walking uh, towards the firing squad. And and then they started chanting, right? Like, uh, what were they chanting? Uh, Long live China. China will never perish. Like they were yelling, like they were like chanting it, right? You know, I know China gets a bad rep today, but yo, during that scene, I, I that, that sent chills down my spine, mm. right? Because it was like, it was like super... Cause it was like quiet, super slow, and then it starts, and then the the kid follows him, and then the other, and then more people start following, and then all of them just start walking towards the firing squad, and then it was just like it got faster and faster and more intense, more intense, and then they're chanting, 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 and then they all died. <laughs> like, like fuck, man, that shit was so intense. Yeah, yeah. you know, like it, it. It's weird because it made me feel proud. It actually made me feel mm-hmm. proud. Like, you know, it's like, in a way, they're dying in the, on their own terms. It's like, if I have to die, I'm going to die a proud Chinese man. Oh, you can't I, get to me. You I, know what I'm I saying? You can't get to me. <laughs> you know? You felt that way? What? How did you feel? <laughs> I, I, I just felt like if I was in that moment, I wouldn't even think about China. I would just think about my family. Like, yeah. why would you, like... I know you're a soldier, but at the end of the day, I think your family trumps everything else. Like, no, mm, the the whole patriotic really? thing yeah. for me didn't it didn't work for me because I think again, like maybe it's just me going in thinking, oh, this is just for propaganda purposes and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, long live China is great, but like really, like at the end of the day, in your last seconds, you're still thinking about only your country. But you got to think about it because you're. I think you're thinking about it as like a modern. You know, Asian American or Asian well, Canadian. I mean, you you know, do get that RVs. moment of somebody thinking of his, like uh, another great moment. The character Mr. Tang, who's um, oh yes, he's kind of the interpreter oh, yeah. for the Japanese, and he's kind of a, a sellout. But you know, eventually at the end, he makes that decision and he um, saves his wife, who's pregnant again. And you know, when they're going to execute him, he's not sad actually because. Uh, he, you know, he's he tells the Japanese soldier, you know, my wife's pregnant, and he's actually happy because he knows mm-hmm. he's going to have a child again. Uh, yeah, yeah, with her, and you know, it sort of lets him have that 
strength at that moment when they're going to execute mm -hmm. him. So I think like you do also get that that side where you have people thinking about their family. And I, I think that's sort of what I mean, where you, you feel like there is kind of that balance where he tries to show that there's there's other sides to this and other ways of approaching this or other perspectives. You know, even if some, you know, you can kind of question like, OK, is this is this propaganda or is this truth? I You know, it, it might depend from person to person what you feel, mm -hmm. but um, I like that yeah, there's it, a lot to dig in with that. Like it could be propaganda. I mean, it probably is propaganda, but like I'm thinking it through the lens of like if I was fighting in that war, right? If I was in that Chinese rebellion squad, right? Mm hmm like you're fighting for your country at the end of the day you're fighting for your country right and if you lost like if i was captured and i'm like walking to my death like do i want to die like like they they want they want us to die begging for our lives right begging for mercy right so if i i i felt like if i put myself in that in their shoes like Listen, I can't. I have no control over the situation. A hundred percent guaranteed that I'm gonna die, right? But what can I control? I can control the way I go out. I can control mm -hmm. my feelings. They can't control that. You know what I mean? They can't make me beg for mercy, right? So if I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out proud of my country, proud of my peoples, proud of my family, right? Because they can't. They will never see me tear up. You know, like, or turn my back on my peoples. So fuck you. Like, it's almost like a final fuck you middle finger to the enemy. That's how I saw it. Mm -hmm. You know, because like the energy, like when they're chanting, I'm like, yo, man, that's, that's fucking, that was, that was fucking crazy. It made you proud. <laughs> it made you proud, Robin. It made you proud. Like it, I don't, like, even if you're not Chinese, I feel like you, it would make you proud, right? Sure. Were you proud, Martin? <laughs> I, I was a little proud. I got to admit. I mean, <laughs> like, um, for me, like the, the Czech version of this, uh, there's a Czech movie called Attentat. There was a remake recently, English language remake called Atherpoid, which was about killing this um, famous Nazi, Heiderich, who was like number three Nazi. And th there's like, there's a moment in, in that film that, that kind of makes me feel the exact same way that you're talking about. So, oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was just too focused on how crazy in terms of like the Japanese were like the whole time is like, I just can't get out of my mind like so much of the shit that they were doing. Oh my. Yeah. And, like, well, really, I mean, like if you read about the history, like I would say even this film might underplay it actually. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's Underplay it? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> really? Shit, boy. And it's not like I, you know, like it, it doesn't have anything to do with like my feelings about like Japanese people today or anything like that. But it's, it's this mm -hmm. part of history that in some ways like hasn't been fully acknowledged. And that's kind of where the mm -hmm. political stuff sort of comes into this. Yeah. Cause the second half, like, okay. So basically after they were that epic chanting and they were executed, that was end of like happy times <laughs> for the movie. Was it really like, happy times? So. Cause I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I mean, like, it's horrific still, right? It's horrific, but it's like, okay, okay. It's like action scenes, you know, like a couple of uh, epic chant moments. I'm like, okay, this movie's not too bad. But then, like, that that's that's the end of that. Yeah. That was the end of that. Because the a second half of the movie, you're like, you, you know what it was? Like, it was so funny because, like, the first half of the movie, I was like, 
all right, cool. There's a lot of murders, a lot of horrific shit. <laughs> just, just don't let me see rape, okay? Like, I, I don't oh. want to see rape, okay? And then, like, the second half is, like, all that. <laughs> yeah. The, the second half is essentially, like, the, the Japanese soldiers, no, getting too horny, and they need the woman. And then the rape happens. Yeah, man. That I think the the second half is really what is really what got me, man. Like, you know, I could I could I could see people getting murked. You know, or getting shot. That's uh, that's one thing, but you know what I mean? People getting raped for like another hour straight. I'm like, "Yo, man, that shit was and, and, guys, if you smoke weed, don't this is not a weed movie. Do not smoke weed watching this movie. It's it'll kill your buzz." <laughs> <laughs> yeah the second part with all the raping and stuff is just crazy especially like the part where one of the japanese soldier he was literally just sitting there watching another soldier friend of his like no raping the, the chinese woman oh, i was like man. oh that Wait. was tough that oh, that okay so so like before so basically what happened was the japanese demanded from the refugee camps 100 chinese women to become comfort women for like two weeks or something, right? Yeah. So, so like the the lady in charge and the and the and the German dude that was like protecting them, they gathered everyone in the church, right? And sh- she was like, "We need one hundred women to volunteer as comfort women, so the rest of us can eat." And have food for the winter. And then, like, people started volunteering. And my thought was, like, man, if I was there, I'd be like, fuck you, lady. You know but what I mean? It, like, it's you, funny, lady. You know, it, it's yeah. not so different from that moment when, you know, they step forward, the soldiers step forward and say, you know, China will prevail. Like, in some ways, she's doing the same thing, stepping forward and being brave like that. But, you know, I, I thought like maybe there's a, a parallel there in these people who are, you know, willing to not shy away from these things if they're inevitable or, you know, take it because it, it could be somebody else instead of you. So I, I don't know. I thought maybe there was there was a connection there with that. No, but I, I was pissed. I was pissed at the, the, the head lady, Ms. Jiang or whatever her name is. Oh, why? She was telling, like, she was basically telling people, like, okay, we need 100 people. But it's like, yo, if you're really a leader, you would volunteer. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why do you get... Because she didn't cut her... Remember, like, they were, she was making everybody cut, her, cut their hair? She was making all the ladies cut their hair to look more like a man. Man. But I think for her, how she saw it, like, she is protected. Like, because she's with, like, the German. And, like, she's in a position of power where, you know... If she volunteers herself, then she's out of that position to like help the overall refugee camp. And I think the mm. whole volunteering aspect, I think her thing was like, oh, it's for to protect the children so that they have clothes, they have food, they have heat. I think. So, so you're the saying it's like, she, was that. it's like she needs to be there to take care of everyone, to protect everyone. So, yeah. So she can't volunteer. So the mm-hmm. other people have to volunteer, right? Yeah. I just feel like if I was in the crowd, I'd be like, fuck you, man. You know what I mean? I ain't doing shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you're you not volunteering. I'm not volunteering. Fuck you. <laughs> but, but the other way of looking at it is no one volunteers, yeah. then they're all screwed. 
Yeah, that's true. Fuck, man. Fuck. It's, I mean, yeah. it's such a hopeless situation for people. It was really, I don't know. It's it's hard to face that and hard to know what even the right thing, like, is there even a right thing when the situations are that hopeless? I don't know. And there, like, I should say, there have been other films kind of in the past couple of years that have tried to deal with this historical event. Like, um, have you seen, uh, I think it's called Flowers of War, the Zhang Yimou film with Christian Bale, which like, I, it almost felt like shoehorned in that one um, where it's like, oh, you know, we need the actor to like Hollywood would recognize to kind of get, get this like, oh, yeah. a wider yeah. release. And mm-hmm. it's like a much more expensive film, a film that kind of like tick marks all the boxes of what, you know, I'm sure the government would like out of a film like that. And I, I don't think it's nearly as good. Like if you ever, I don't know if you guys have seen it or... I, I know I of it and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and like I, 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 I like Zhang Yimou like he's made some of my favorite films but like it's it's just I don't for anyone who's seen both it's it's an interesting contrast in how those films approach the same subject in a very different way what, so it was lighter or darker I mean for one it's in color <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it's more just uh I think totally, like, I would say this is, uh, Nanjing Nanjing is darker, but, like, Flowers of War, I I would say it's less nuanced, I think, is kind of the thing I, I would say in comparing them. And it, it does feel like it's more, that one almost feels like, okay, we stuck Christian Bale in it so we can shine a more international spotlight on this historical event through film. Like, the City of Life and Death, uh, Nanjing Nanjing, I don't know what you guys think, but like for me, it almost feels like it's not really made for an international audience. It's not like, here, let me educate you about this historical event. It, it feels oh, no, like, yeah. you know, it just kind of plunges you into it. And it's like, let's deal with the reality of it. Yeah, I, I think with this film, it's intended for people who already have a kind of a understanding or background of what really happened or like has studied this during school. So for the Chinese audience, really. Because they show... They don't really talk about like the specific of like why it's happening or what's happening. It's just oh, there's a war. That's it. It's just horrific shit. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't even yeah. give you a lot of context to stuff. Like I think I, the version I, I sent you guys might have been. I think it was like from the English language release where they have like those little title cards kind of explaining certain yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the original version I saw didn't have that. It was just kind of straight through with yeah i think now there's like little explanations like oh like this yeah. is the army retreating at the beginning and you know just kind of setting it up for people who might not know what's happening but like i, I think the version i saw it's just kind of like oh my god what's what's going on i have to oh, you know kind of make sense of it just through the context at first this is how you know the movie's like super fucked up so you know the scene where miss jiang um there was that one scene where they like so they were like separating everybody right and then they were like rounding up like a bunch of soldiers chinese soldiers for i'm assuming execution and miss jiang convinced the japanese commander that everybody can can retrieve one member of the family is that correct yeah and uh miss jiang tried to like save up multiple people so the Japanese took her and like, I'm assuming they're going to take her as a comfort woman, right? 
And as she passes Kadokawa, the Japanese, um, the more innocent Japanese soldier, she's like, just shoot me. Just shoot me. Just shoot me. Mm -hmm. And as she walks off, Kadokawa walks up and pops her in the head. And you know what? You know what my feeling was in my in my mind? A sign of relief. Mm. Mm. <laughs> a sign of relief. Like I rather her get shot in the head than whatever they had planned for her. You know what I mean? That's yeah. how fucked up that movie was. Mm-hmm. Did y'all feel the same in that scene? I guess uh, I mean yeah. it, it's also <laughs> just it's so bleak, you know. Like I literally felt relief. I'm like, oh my god, thank god, thank god. I think that was thank the whole god point. Thank god you got popped in the head. I, I think I think that's the intention at in the first place because I think everyone watching it would know like, oh, she doesn't want to end up like that. She rather just, she rather yeah. just be killed, and then it allows for you no know, the soldier that soldier himself to kind of do that and then really get into his kind of like end kind of last scene of him like really yeah. relinquishing his kind of like feelings towards being in the war and how the war has been because i think at that point he was just mm-hmm. like down and out on what 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 has happened because you know he he goes through some kind of awakening like we i mentioned earlier yeah. how how do you guys feel about the ending the uh, the ending scene yeah. i mean sometimes i feel like when you look at historical atrocity, you kind of have to look at it on an individual level. Like I, I know um, there was a film, uh, Shop on Main Street, Slovak language film, where they were sort of talking about like you know the Holocaust, where it's not just the six million people who died; it's about the one, like failing one person. And to me, it was almost like that, where Katakawa, you know, he takes some responsibility, and you know, maybe maybe you can't save everyone, but maybe you can save one person or two people. You know, if you take mm-hmm. that personal responsibility, to me, it was sort of his, in a way, him trying to redeem himself or trying to do something where, you know, he could maybe save a life or two lives. And I, I think like also just that feeling of realization of what they've, he's been a part of that guilt. I, I think that's why he uh, shoots himself at the end. I, yeah. I, I also think it's because he just, you know, the, the, the wife that he thought he had, died i mean the prostitute yeah, yeah. i think that's mm. the biggest thing for him yeah um so, so so what happens at the final scene was he he freed the little kid the sidekick and um the other soldier uh who was like friends with the commander as well i believe um and then he 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 goes he tells his boy life is more difficult than death and that phrase was pretty powerful because like like it made me think of when Miss Jiang was popped in the head because like yeah death is way more simple than if she lived so i feel i felt like that tied in that phrase really well and then he he like commits suicide um what i really liked though was like the ending, they kind of ended it like in a wholesome way because um, the kid and the other guy, they like, they start smiling and they start like, cause like throughout the whole movie, the kid did not act like a kid. Yeah. 
the kid did not act like a kid. He always was like, he always had this like stone cold face. He's always, he never cried. He, he He's always like in the most horrific situations. He's always thinking like, okay, what, what should I do in this situation? Like how, how should I save this guy? How should I, you know, help? Right. So he's always like, he, you see him as like an, a little adult. So for him, for, so for the film to end on that note, like he's like, finally being a kid he's able to act like a kid again right i thought that was pretty powerful yeah yeah it i mean it reminded me there's a similar film also black and white that came out last year called the painted bird i don't know if you've seen anything of, from that but like it just sort of made me think about like what war does to children and uh, also like the film i mentioned earlier come and see it's very similar where you know, it kind of forces him to be a soldier of the kid for, for the whole film. And I, I think like seeing him smile at the end, I don't, his face almost looks like traumatized a bit, uh, of course, but like, you know, you do get that kind of feeling that there's something hopeful or something meaningful mm -hmm. has been achieved. I was wondering too, what you guys thought about, there's that scene with the Japanese procession when they're playing the drums and dancing. Mm. Uh, I always think about this scene and like, I'm not even sure really what it means, but like to me, it's one of the scenes that kind of stuck with me most from the film. And I'm not even sure if I have a good reason why. So I was kind of curious what you thought about it. I don't like, I, I like that scene. Like you're talking about the scene where like they're all drum and they're doing the dance. They're yeah. celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I, I mean, I'm Chinese. That shit was foreign to me. Like, I don't think we do that. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we really do that in our culture, but, um, but I think like maybe something about like that feeling of being like a part of a part of that group, like when they're all carrying the drums and you see like Katakawa, he's, they have these different expressions on their faces and it's almost like you're just part of this momentum and you get kind of, yeah, I, I, I think it, it. I, I think it's similar to the scene where, where the Chinese people were chanting. Like, I feel like, like I do, I do feel like a sort, I feel a, a sort of proudness for them. Right, it's like holy shit, we just won this fucking war. We destroyed these motherfuckers, you know. Like it's yeah. like, it's like it's like a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. The same energy is what I'm saying. Hmm. Did you did you guys get that? I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I feel kind of um, iffy on that because I don't know what exactly was that reason for that particular scene. Just. I think for me, I thought, oh, it's just a scene to kind of highlight the contrast and feeling from like all the soldier, how they feel about, oh, um, winning and stuff versus like our main guy, uh, Karo Sura or something and how he yeah. feeling like he's off now. Like he, he does not like relate. He feels uh, down and out. Well, the reason I say that is because, you know, like every time you hear a drum, I don't know it, it, what it is about humans. When, when we hear drums, don't you just feel like oh, you're like you're, you're getting well, amped uh, up, right? Like it, it synchronizes you. Like they're all dancing. They're all kind of moving in yeah. sync. Like it, it's interesting that you sort of mentioned him being kind of not feeling like a part of that because they're all completely coordinated and kind of mm -hmm. moving to that drum beat. So uh, it's, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think. That sets up the scene of him realizing, oh, this, I, 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 I don't think winning is that great. Or like, uh, he didn't see his worth. I think that's the, kind of the setup. Cause like everyone's, whatever. everyone's celebrating around him, but like, he's like in his own bubble. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause there was that one scene where like, it's just his face. Like he's lifting up the thing. 
and it's just his face and you could kind of see in his face that like yeah he 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 ain't really about it <laughs> mm-hmm. and i just want to go back to like the last scene of like you mentioning like how the kid was smiling at the end and all that stuff i, yeah. I think i think that's kind of a interesting thing that they ended off with like I, i'm sure they did it for a reason but like if only they knew like after getting through that, it's just the beginning of the actual war, because what we are seeing now is like the beginning of like the war in in like in China and Japan in 1937. But in reality, the whole kind of World War Two and like the whole thing didn't end until like 1945. So you say they right. yeah. giving them like some hopefulness, but in reality, I don't think it might be the case though. <laughs> that was one reason why it was so hard to finish the film because. Like you already know what happens in you know in terms of the history, right? That yeah, we're probably not gonna get a happy ending. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, even as the audience, I'm, I I felt hopelessness, you know, because you like they're living it in the moment, but you as the audience, you know the future already because you you this is like um this is a historic movie, right? You already know it doesn't end well, so you see all this horrific shit. And then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, probably no happy ending in this one. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, you know, it shows like somebody lived through that. And, you know, even in a completely hopeless situation, somebody, somebody survived it. Somebody kept living. And I I think like that's kind of where the the hope comes from. It's like things can be so horrible and dark and terrible that like, you know, just a simple display of uh, like human decency by saving another life like uh, maybe that alone is enough to kind of yeah make you think about the capacity for goodness i don't know i mean it's 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 tricky when you kind of get to something this terrible to talk about like you know even the potential for something good (laughs) you just sort of feel like uh, you know almost like uh, oh my god like human beings are too terrible to each other like we were beyond redemption Mm. i don't know but i I think it's it's true that the film does end on this uh, optimistic note you know what it did though like it it made me have a it made me develop an even higher respect for people that serve in the military because it sparked so much anger in me like this film like seeing like the horrific shit that happened and like me growing up i was never you know i never really you know i i never really grew up in a a military family or my people around me were never really into the military like we like our lifespan was pretty peaceful we were we never lived through like world wars um but it made me have a high respect for people that choose to serve for their country because seeing the movie like if that shit happened today as a guy who never cared for the army i i think i would enlist instantly <laughs> no seriously I, I, that, that, oh. it made me feel like i was like fuck you honestly like if this shit happened today sign me up fuck it i don't care like i i will I will ride or die for my country. Like I don't know, but like you also have that Japanese side where like, you know, those are soldiers just, you know, from their point of view, they think that they're just fighting for their country and it leads them down this road where they do these horrible, yeah. horrible things. And I think like, I, I don't know, like maybe not respect for the military, but like I respect people fighting to save themselves and each other. And, mm. you know, I, I think like that's more the, the kind of feeling I, I 
take away from that than like oh the military is is something i would enlist it like yeah i, I, I don't think i'd want to put myself in a situation where yeah like, like i don't well, even I, handle harsh I, it's criticism like, it's like well respect... never mind like people actively trying to kill me so. mm. no 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 it's like yeah. they respect that these guys don't give a fuck you know like they that you know like i respect that Yo, like you're probably gonna die. You're probably gonna die. But it's like if I die, like I want to die defending my country. You mm. know. So it's like I felt that sort of pride. Um, it's, in, like, it's interesting you got that because for me, it, it's, it makes me further away from like like how you feel, but more like like my like disgust of like just the whole military industrial complex that we're being put through and all that stuff and how yeah. you know war is like this and yet we're still thinking oh it's the best way to solve solution uh solve problems and all that stuff when we see like there are horrible consequences that you know we yeah. can't get back so you, you you take the uh muhammad ali approach and not fight the white man's war. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I I think yeah. I see. That's I think that's where we differ. I I probably I would probably fall for the propaganda. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But um, well, but on that too. note, I think uh, I think that's a I think that's a great ending to the review. Um, final thoughts and maybe maybe a rating. What uh, uh what how how do you feel, uh, Kyle? I think overall, I would say it's a good film. It's nicely done. I personally thought, maybe it's just my preference, but I would have preferred it a little shorter. I think they did it just because they want the pacing, <laughs> how it is. But at two hours and 15 minutes, that was a long, long watch, even though it's a nice movie. But at the same time, it's horrific. So for you to have to go through two hours and 15 minutes of horrific kind of footages, it's kind of yeah. tough on your on, on your head and like you said it ruins your day and in terms of rating i would say you know i, I will give it like a three and a half out of five i think that's fair i i i, I have a similar uh thoughts for the movie um inter artistically i thought it was amazing the way they shot everything like all the subtleness in the techniques that we talked about, I thought I thought all that was fire. In terms of the content, <laughs> I don't think I, you know, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I definitely don't think I could rewatch this again. Um, so overall, I think I, I think I would also give it around a three out of five. How about you, Martin? I, I think those are both fair ratings. I, I get where you guys are coming from. If you ever, if you ever let me back on the podcast, I promise, uh, whatever I pick next will be fun. I, I won't be oh, something you, you, like this you, ever you're again. You're not allowed I, to pick any films. Did, anymore, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for myself, I'd rate it a little bit higher, like maybe four out of five, something like that seems fair. I don't think it's necessarily like perfect or anything, but I think and it deals with an important subject, and it, I, I think deals with in the way that could have easily gone into an um, oversimplified direction. And I, I think the fact that it doesn't makes it a good film for me. Awesome. And with that, um, do you want to uh, let the audience know if they want to find you or listen to your podcast? Where can they find you? Uh, sure. Best place to find me is on Twitter, at MovieKessler. Again, I'm over on FlixWise. I've got a new podcast in the works. I don't know how much I can say about it, but it's it's going to be a little bit broader than film. I'm going to be talking about 
lots of different things with different guests, which should be exciting. I I know that sounds very vague and mysterious, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Twitter's the best place to find me. I, I post all my podcasts and kind of upcoming things there. And Kyle, if they want to listen to your podcast or even find you on the socials, where can they find you? Yeah, for sure. So you can find my podcast, What Kind of Asian Are You podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. And you can find me on Instagram at kyle.lkhhk. And the podcast Instagram is What Kind of Asian Pod. And for myself, just, just find me on Instagram. I'm most active on there at Conrock, C-O-N-R-O-C. And with that, we're going to sign out. Martin, thank you for thank coming you. on the pod. Fuck oh, you for picking for that me. movie. <laughs> but uh, you you were a great guest. We'll definitely, we should definitely get you back again, you know? I, I would uh, love to come back on. I, I do promise that uh, something lighter would be good. Maybe uh, yeah. Wheels on Meals or something like that. That's just <laughs> fun to talk about. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you, you bring a lot of great, like, factual knowledge. Oh, thank to, you. I, uh, I try. I podcast, try. You know? <laughs> Because uh, uh, you know me, I'm I'm, I'm very lowbrow, you know. As you can see, you you help uh, balance out our hot <laughs> hot takes. Exactly. So uh, yeah, we'll 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 definitely uh, get you back. Uh, maybe just we'll just shoot the shit about you know movies. It doesn't have to be a specific cool. review. Um, but yeah, with that, we'll sign out here. Peace. Peace. Bye.